Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. If you can turn to the book of Acts, Acts is in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And then the book of Acts, if you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. You need to turn back a couple of pages. And uh, this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. While you find your place, let me just tell you a quick story. Um, last week, we had the same announcements as this week. One of them was for that marriage seminar. I really want to encourage you to sign up for that. Invest in your marriages, people. Um, the world isn't investing in their marriages, but we, God's people, need to be investing in our marriages that God can be glorified through it. Thomas was listening attentively to the announcement, and Jabu said 200 rand per couple for a three-course meal, and Thomas went, yo! And I looked at him, I mean, it's a great, I mean, that, that's a deal, but, but I looked at him because it was a, he was very expressive. I said, Boy, are you okay? He said, Dad, I can't believe it. You guys are going to eat breakfast, lunch, and supper. <laughs> it's not breakfast, lunch, and supper. It's a three-course meal. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the marriage seminar next week at the Hill. Uh, sign up while there are still places. I'm assuming we found Acts chapter 17. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to, God willing, make the meaning of God's word clear to us. And then apply it into our hearts. This is a spiritual exercise. I mean, I've, I've studied it. And some of that was a, an exercise of science, figuring out how everything fits together. But really, it's a spiritual exercise that I'm hoping God applies his word into your hearts that you can live it out in your lives. And so to that end, even before I come to the reading of God's word, let me pray both for me and for you that God would be glorified in this place this morning. Would you bow your heads together with me? In your word, Lord God, we read that men are like grass and their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word, your word which is without error, your word which is sufficient for all matters of life and practice, your word will stand forever. This morning our desire is to stand on your word, faithful and true. Lord, we desire to be taught by your word. Would you renew our minds? We desire to be affected by your word. Would you stir our hearts by the Holy Spirit of God? We desire to live out your word to your praise and glory. Would you make it so? Give us ears that we might hear, hearts that we might respond, lives which are forever changed that you might receive much praise and glory from your people that are here this morning. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Well, friends, I'm reading to you from the book of Acts, chapter 17, beginning at the first verse. Hear the word of God. 
Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas and as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women, but the Jews were jealous In taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, And they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Just so far in the reading of God's word, There's a bit of feedback which wobbles in and out behind me. If Ryan can just turn the gain down or something. Friends, the, the world is broken. Jesus came into the world in part to change that, to overthrow the darkness and to bring the light in, to conquer death and offer life the world is broken but Jesus' intention is to turn it upside down to, to turn it right side up now what part do we play in that process How might we join Jesus' mission on earth and become world changers together with him? That's what we are considering this morning. And we start by hearing how Paul preaches Christ in Thessalonica. Paul preaches Christ in Thessalonica. You can read along with me in verse 1 and following. Now when they had passed through and Philippolis and Polinia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Paul, together with Silas, is on his second missionary journey. They are traveling through Syria and they have come to Cilicia. They've they've passed through there. They, They are revisiting the towns of Derbe and Lystra and Paul has recruited Timothy. The Holy Spirit has prevented them 
from going down to Asia, instead has sent them on to Troas. Paul has received a vision calling him to Macedonia, modern-day Europe. And in Philippi, he had seen Lydia converted, as well as a demon-possessed slave girl cured. And then imprisoned for disturbing the peace, they saw the jailer converted to Jesus Christ. Now, released from prison, they have arrived in Thessalonica. Now, this has been no pleasant stroll through the countryside. Philippi was a 63-kilometer journey from Amphilippos. And Amphilippos was a 48-kilometer journey from Apollonia. And Apollonia was a 60-kilometer journey from Thessalonica. And Paul has gone on that journey the day after he was severely beaten and left for dead. That's 160-kilometer trip. But they've arrived now in Thessalonica. Uh, in Thessalonica. And the question is, why does Paul target Thessalonica? Or why not one of the other cities that he has passed through? He's passed through larger cities than this. Well, part of the motivation that he might have had to target Thessalonica as a city is just like Pretoria is the capital city of South Africa. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia. It is a large center of travel and commerce. Also, it has a a population of Jews and a synagogue for Jewish worship. And so follow along with me in verse 2 of your Bibles. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scripture, explaining and, and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Paul taught in the synagogue for at least three Sabbaths, but was in Thessalonica for a longer period than that. We read in the letters that he wrote to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, that he says, remember our, and he's talking of himself and Silas at least, our, our toil and our labor, how we worked night and day that we might not have been a burden to any of you. We also know that he stayed for long enough that he actually needed support. And so the church in Philippi had had sent at least once a gift in order to sustain him and the co-workers as they were in the city of Thessalonica. In verse 2 and 3, we read of Paul's teaching ministry in Thessalonica. A teaching ministry that included reasoning, that included explaining, that included proving, and included proclaiming. Reasoning involves getting the point across. 
Explaining is to open the scriptures up in such a way that people understand them. Proving is is laying down an argument by presenting a series of evidences. And proclaiming is to herald. It's what I'm doing now. It is to declare. Four words conveying one action. Paul's teaching was comprehensive even as it was careful. Paul's teaching was intense even as it came with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul proclaimed Jesus Christ and him crucified. In verse 3 alone, you can read in your Bibles that, that Paul mentions Jesus once and Christ twice. There is no such thing as too much Jesus in Paul's preaching. Paul made much of Christ. He proclaimed the gospel message over and over again. The death of Christ for sin and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in victory from the grave. Christ from the Old Testament scriptures which no doubt would have included Psalm chapter 2 and Isaiah chapter 53 and many other places where the death of the Messiah was prophesied. And some of them, in verse 4 of your text, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. We've been going, this is our 11th sermon in the series through the use of Paul's mechanisms to demonstrate that the gospel triumphs as it goes from Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and then to all the ends of the earth in the book of Acts. In this passage we see that God again saves the whosoever The whosoever call upon the name of the Lord are saved. God saves Jews who call upon the name of the Lord. Some of them at least joined Paul and Silas in verse 4. God saves devout Greeks who call upon the name of the Lord. God-fearing Gentiles who worship at the synagogue and believe in Yahweh but haven't yet become Jewish in custom, in faith, and in practice. God saves leading women who call upon the name of the Lord. Macedonian women had more independence than others in the Roman Empire, like Lydia who ran the business in Philippi. But the point here is that God saves the whosoever, Jews, devout Greeks and Gentiles, just like you and me, leading women, the whosoever believe in him and will not be put to shame. God saved me and God can save you. And while God did save some Jews, the church in Thessalonica consisted mostly of Gentile believers, Gentile converts, people that looked just like you and me. Later, writing to the Thessalonians, Paul describes their collective conversion as turning to God from idols and serving the living and true God. 
But in our text, verse 5, but the Jews were jealous. In verse 4, we read that some Jews were persuaded, but, but not all. Even when presented with the truth, per- persuasively, most of the Jews clung stubbornly to their unbelief. Religious people can be the hardest people to reach for Christ. Synagogue people, church people, Baptist people, people who know enough about God to give themselves a sense of false assurance, but people who don't know God through Jesus Christ, his son, and people who God doesn't know in a relational way. These are religious folk who at the final judgment will say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And on that terrible day, Jesus will declare to them, I never knew, me, knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The minority believe in Christ, but, but the vast majority will not. Even when presented with the truth persuasively, most of the Jews cling to their unbelief. The word but at the beginning of verse 5 introduces a conflict into our story. The the writer is, is changing direction. Some Jews accepted the gospel, but many others became jealous. They, they rejected the gospel. They rejected God, and they rejected the gospel proclaimer. As as Sidion, um, Antioch, before Iconium and Lystra, even as the gospel triumphs the souls of men and women, Paul experiences opposition by a mob of incited and jealous Jews. You can pick up the story again at the end of verse 5 and into verse 6. In taking some of the wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, they set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, this is Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting. I mean, the Jews know exactly what they're doing. They go to the, the Agora, the, the marketplace, and they find the low-light scum who idle around there, the, the loafers, the bums, the unemployed loiterers, those men who are wicked and evil and worthless. It's not stated, but, but I assume that they pay them off, and then they instruct them to incite violence against Paul and against his companions. 
And so they form a mob and they set the city in an uproar and they attack the house of Jason, seeking to bring Paul out to the crowd. The word seeking here is in the imperfect tense. It indicates that they were repeatedly trying to find Paul's location again and again and again. He was the first prize and they wanted to persecute him. But they couldn't find him for whatever reason, no matter how hard they searched. And so they settled on the next best target, Jason, who had welcomed Paul to Thessalonica. It may have been that Jason's home was the location of this new church plant. And they break down the door and they grab Jason and they drag him away. And now he stands before the city officials, the uh, uh, politiarchs, the men assigned to administer the security of the city. This is their city council. And they hear the crowd, the mob, shouting these accusations. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Paul and Silas together with Timothy as as well as Jason and all the other brethren were turning the world upside down because the world needs changing. God didn't create it messed up as we see and experience it. This is our doing. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned, the world turned wrong side up. And there are consequences to living in a wrong side up world, a sin infested world. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is destruction. The wages of sin is conflict. The the wages of sin is relational separation from God. The wages of sin is a mind so full of shameful lusts that it acts in depravity. Those minds, so infected by sin, are affected by sin too. Because sin deceives the sinner into thinking that this wrong side up world is the right way around. The world needs to be flipped, turned upside down. Jesus came to do just that in the hearts and in the minds of his disciples, those that follow him. Believers live in a right side up in this topsy-turvy world. That's what conversion really is. It is a transfer from darkness and into light. It is a transfer from death and into life. It is the turning around from the wrong side up unbeliever into the right side up believer. But when enough unbelievers turn It seems to those who are still on the wrong side up that the world is being turned upside down. The Jews hated Rome. 
The Jews hated Caesar, but the Jews hated Paul and the gospel and Jesus Christ even more. And so when they heard the missionaries proclaiming that Jesus Christ is our king, they thought to use that to their advantage. They're such hypocrites. They, they, they charged the brethren with disturbing the peace, with causing trouble, not just in Thessalonica, but, but all over the world. And they charged the brethren with sedition, saying that there is another king, a king other than Caesar. To acknowledge another king other than Caesar was one of the most serious crimes in the Roman Empire. Caesar would suffer no earthly rival. It it was on this charge that Jesus Christ himself was crucified. Out of jealous zealousness, the Jews chose to safeguard Caesar's government rather than God's kingdom. An earthly king rather than a heavenly king. A Roman empire rather than the kingdom of heaven. Read with me in Acts chapter 8. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. The crowd has believed its own lie. The, the accusation has been leveled of sedition. And now they start to realize that this could come around and bite them. There is a growing concern, a murmuring amongst the crowd. You you see, Philippi is a Roman garrison. And soldiers don't ask questions. Soldiers aren't careful about justice. Soldiers are just about the restoration of law and order. And you don't want Roman soldiers in your city. And the people of Thessalonica don't want any trouble. They're, They're a free city at the moment. But a charge of sedition against a citizen might be interpreted as the start of rebellion in the city and the next thing you know, the soldiers will get called in. You may end up tarring the city with the same brush as you have just tarred the innocent men you've called in front of the city officials and painted them with. And that would be an end to your freedom. Now this... This problem needs to be resolved, and it needs to be resolved quickly. It would be easier to get rid of Paul and Silas than the Jewish residents and the mob. But Paul and Silas are nowhere to be found. A solution needs to be put in place. We read about it in verse 9. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The bad news was, Jason had to post the bond, even though he didn't start the riot. The good news is that they let him go. The the Roman officials were more interested in stopping a riot than in seeking justice. Now a quick recap before we apply this text this morning. Paul and Silas, together with Timothy, have come to Thessalonica. There they have preached Christ, and some have believed, but the Jews were jealous, and so they incited a mob to attack Jason's house and drag him before the city officials. They they accuse him of turning the world upside down and sedition, 
But the city officials, together with the crowd, fear possible repercussions if things continue to spiral out of control. And so they take security from Jason and they let them go. So, how do churches grow? Churches grow in this text as we turn the world upside down. That's what Paul and Silas, together with Timothy, did on their missionary journey. But it wasn't Paul and Silas, together with Timothy, facing the charge of being world changers in the dock before the city officials. It was Jason and his brethren. Because world changing is a whole work of the whole church. It's not just apostles who shake the world. It's not just apostles who rattle the world. It's not just apostles who are charged to turn the world upside down. It is the whole of the church which is called to this activity. It's up to people like Jason. It is up to people like Mark and Jabu and the elders. And it is up to people like you and like me. This text reveals what they were doing to turn the world right side up. They were teaching the gospel. The gospel of Christ crucified and resurrected. And their teaching was comprehensive. It involved reasoning, explaining, proving, and proclaiming. And so to close, here are three brief, simple ways you can start changing your world. First, Don't try and turn your world upside down until you have been turned inside out and right side up. Let me repeat that. Don't try and turn your world upside down until Jesus Christ himself has turned you inside out and right side up. There can be no setting of others on fire until you yourself are on fire. And so this morning, friend, I'm asking you the question, are you converted? Not do you know about God, but do you know God relationally through his son, Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the lamb? If you would like to know him, but aren't too sure how, can I encourage you to speak to one of our elders? They are waving their hands furiously at the opportunity of speaking to you at any time, whether it is today after the service or at some time in the future. We would love to share our conviction regarding the death of Jesus Christ for your sin and his resurrection from the grave in victory over death And the call upon you to repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Come and speak to us about that. Or better yet, if you have recently placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, come and celebrate together with us about that. Number two, second. If you have been turned inside out and right side up, do everything you can to be equipped to turn your world upside down. Let me repeat that. If you have been turned inside out and right side up by Jesus Christ, do everything you can to be equipped to turn your world right side up. 
Paul spent time at Thessalonica. And that time was, was filled with reasoning, with explaining, with proving, and with proclaiming. Now, I'm glad that you are here this morning. I'm glad that you are sitting under the reading and the preaching of the word. But hear me out on this. World changes are training for the Comrades Marathon, not for a park run. Almost anyone can run, or in my case, walk. The five kilometers of a park run without changing, without training. But to run the Comrades Marathon, Jabu, all 89 kilometers of it, requires training. Lots and lots of training. World trainers are training for the Comrades Marathon, not for a park run. It requires more than just your Sunday attendance, more than just proclamation on a Sunday. It also requires reasoning around God's word, the explanation of God's word, and proving from God's word too. And so you need to supplement your Sunday attendance training program with midweek Bible study. Eugene, shake your hand, and Dan, if you're in the building, you can shake your hand. I'm shaking my hand too. If you need to connect with a midweek Bible study in your area, please come and speak to one of us or any of the elders. We would love to connect you into a small group Bible study where you can be trained and where you can be explained and be reasoned with and be proved from God's word from, where we can do life together and grow together that we might be world changers together. Third, and this is to everyone who's a believer in Jesus Christ, it is time for you to step out of cold storage and change the world. <laughs> it is time for you to step out of cold storage and change the world. What do I mean? I have a friend who has a storage garage. It is full of useful items he doesn't use. There's a jigsaw, there's a hand sand, uh, sander, there's a, a, a bench, there's a bench press, there's a circular saw. Useful items that are locked away and never really used for anything. What a waste. Before you judge him too harshly, you might want to consider that you are a tool too. And too many of you spend too much of your time in cold storage. If the gospel has turned you inside out and right side up, it is your duty to turn the world upside down. Don't be content with being a lukewarm, Lacedonian, lack of faith Christian who won't even cause the world to tilt or to wobble on its axis. You are called to disturb the world. Step out of storage and step out in the power of the Holy Spirit and step out into a world which is desperate to be turned right side up. What a thrill and a challenge this is to believers. Don't raise the objection, I'm not ready. Friend, you have been sitting in storage for years. It is time for you to get going. Let me give you two ideas of where you can get started. After the service, 
you could speak to Patrick. Uh, Patrick N., are you here? Patrick's not here. I didn't see him. You can come and speak to me. If you want to get involved, or to Jabu, if you want to get involved in an EE3 evangelism group, which will begin next year in 2023, it is a wonderful opportunity for you to be used as an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. Or you could speak to Talamu. Now, there's a guy I haven't seen this morning either. Is Talamu here? There he is. He's waving furiously. Talamu is going to be standing at the back of the church near the desk uh, at the end of the service. And go and speak to him and find out where you can get plugged into service at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. Friend, you are not called by Almighty God to come to church on Sundays and warm a seat. You have been called by Almighty God to be involved in the greatest mission the world has ever known, to turn the world on its head, to introduce them to the person of Jesus Christ, who is Lord and Savior. You've been called upon to be a world changer. That is what we are. That is what we are called to do. May God enable us to do just that and be glorified in us as we go about this great task. It's closing a word of prayer. Well, Father, I do thank you for Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. Thank you for this group of saints who meet right here. Thank you, Lord, that you have stirred our hearts towards holy affections. Thank you, Lord, that it is true that many of us are serving so faithfully in so many areas. God be praised for that. But Lord God, this morning, would you stir those who are seated and who are slothful and who need to get moving, who who need to get going, who need to get in the race, that they might glorify you with their lives. Lord, I do pray for all of us that we are being equipped in life, that we might live lives to your praise and to your glory. Would you stir in us a greater hunger for your word? Might we be a people who is always found around the word of God? Might we be found in midweek Bible studies, listening to sermons on MP3s, uh, attending functions, that we might be equipped to go into a world and present Jesus Christ and him crucified? Father, lastly, I pray for those who have not yet come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm reminded of his words, that those are to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give them rest. Lord, would you stir in their hearts a desire to not delay, but to run to Jesus Christ even today, that they might find life and rest and peace and even Holy Spirit power in him, that they might live their lives to your praise and to your glory. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.